You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, the Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark White, and with me today are Amy and Kelvin. How are you guys doing, my friends? Good, thank you. Good. Well, you guys, thanks for covering for me last week, um, and I am glad to be back. Oh, your absence was felt. We had a lot of math last week. Where's Amy? Yes. <laughs> And I just wanted to point out, Janeway had the true teacher experience. I was watching Good Shepherd, and those students did not want to learn. They didn't want to engage. And I'm like, I deal with that every single day when I'm trying to get these kids to just work together. Some of the, I have one, Natalia. She wants to go sit off in the own corner, do her math, and not talk to anyone. And I'm like, come on, don't be a... Awesome <laughs> yes. Don't be a heron. <laughs> so really filling that episode. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, we we had a lot of fun last week, Amy. We uh we we're really happy that you're back this week. Yeah. Uh, we've had some feedback from Matt Harker, uh, one of our Patreon members. Uh, Matt actually wanted to say that he watched good rewatched Good Shepherd uh, after listening to this pod, and both were damn good. So, high praise indeed yeah. for those uh, on the episode. So we'll take that. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate the feedback as always. Well, now it's time for All Good World. From Las Vegas to Boston, USA to Canada and South America, from the United Kingdom to South Africa, from Russia to Australia, the South Pacific and beyond, this is all good world. Each episode, we highlight a different location around the globe where this podcast has reached. Today's episode, we love to give a special shout out to Alaska. That's cold in Alaska. Uh, the climate in the extreme north of Alaska is Arctic with long, very cold winters and short, cool summers. Even in July, the average low temperature is around 34 degrees Fahrenheit or 1 degrees Celsius. Precipitation is light in this part of Alaska with many places averaging less than 10 inches or 25 centimeters per year, mostly as snow, which stays on the ground almost the entire year. Some of Alaska's popular annual events are the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race from Anchorage to Nome, uh, World Ice Art Championships in Fairbanks, which I think is pretty cool, and the Blueberry Festival and Alaska Hummingbird Festival. Both are in, it looks like, uh, Ketchik- Ketchikan? Ketchik- Ketchik- I did my best. As usual. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I didn't think about Alaska being uh, blueberry, having a blueberry festival. They also do that in Maine, but it makes sense. I'm sure they should really have a Commander Riker festival as well, being a very famous Alaskan on Star Trek. So uh, we've got Captain Picard Day. I, I'm sure Alaska should really host a Commander Riker Day. Oh, that'd be great. They should. <laughs> yes. They need a statue of him somewhere. We know exactly what pose that statue would be. He'd have his leg up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the one. 
<laughs> Maybe his leg up on uh, top what? of a um, polar bear. Like an ice <laughs> chair or something. <laughs> his shirt unbuttoned a little hey, have... bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you guys been to Alaska? Uh, no. I grew up in northern Maine, though, which is similar to Alaska, but not Alaska. And I'm from Britain. It's just really cold. Hmm. Yeah, I have not been, but definitely want to. Eventually. Yeah. It'll be there. Well, hi to our listeners in Alaska. Well, you guys, we listeners, you're not going to believe it. Sit down because you're just not going to believe it. We're going to start a new series on All Good Things. And I'm very excited for this series. Mark has been playing with the idea for quite a while, and we are finally getting around to it. We are going to have a new series, Evolution of a Species. And we're going to take a look at different alien species races and explore and talk about all that it is in Star Trek. And to start us off, founding member of the Federation, we are going to talk about the Andorians. So, I want to know, what did you think of the Andorians when you saw them the first time, and what in the heck is going on with their antenna? Kelvin. (laughs) Well, I'm struggling to remember the first time I saw Andorians. I knew of them. I know all about the history of the Federation, the one of the four founding members. But if you think about the use within kind of next generation and DS9 was practically non-existent. Mm. It wasn't really until Enterprise that they really fleshed out, no pun intended, the Andorians. So I think my first memory was in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and one of the Federation Council members was an Andorian. So I always remember that. But if you recall that scene, there was loads of funky-looking aliens in the uh, in the Federation Council, and rightly so, for diversity. I was satisfied that uh, the later Berman era of Trek fully explored Andorians, because for a race that was supposedly so important mm-hmm. within Federation history, they had been underserved. So I'm really, I'm really excited that we're doing this episode today for two reasons. I love the start of a new series, Mark. Thank you very much, because it makes me feel like I've been here since day one. <laughs> yes. um, but also as well, um, it doesn't follow our usual traditional episode of the week rewatch format. Mm-hmm. So we're all coming at this maybe having rewatched or wanting to discuss different Andorian episodes. And I, I think that makes for a richer discussion. So uh, I'm very excited. But yeah, blue race antennas, what's not to love? What do you think of the mark? Why did why did we choose them to start with? Surely it's not just because they start with A. No, <laughs> good point. Uh, but no, the Andorians, I think I, I got a lot of information uh, doing this research. Um, to sort of figure out why they weren't shown very much. And I know that Gene Roddenberry had talked to the creators of The Next Generation and just said he didn't want any sort of crossover with TOS aliens. He wanted all new aliens. That was the directive. They didn't want to go back. So that sort of explains like their absence in the 90s era. But on top of that, even in TOS a lot of the creators of the original series thought that that was a species 
that wasn't very believable. They thought that it was uh, goofy looking and silly. And they had, you know, they were throwing away, throwing around all these terms. And I just, I just disagree. I disagree strongly. Uh, I think the first time I saw them was in TNG, just in that brief LOL episode. Of course, they've been mentioned. I don't know how many dozen times they were mentioned in uh, TNG. They've been mentioned in other series, just not shown. You know, I, I guess their uniform and stuff in TNG was a was a little goof, but I thought I always thought that they were cool. They looked alien. When you think of aliens, I don't know. I think of like the X Files gray alien with like the slender face, maybe with antennas. And to me, this is this is what an alien looks like, and I love that. I don't know. So when I was coming up with this sort of concept, why I wanted to use them as the first aliens uh, we discuss is because when we look at all of Trek, this is one species that we talk about reinvention, has been invented and reinvented, I mean, time and time again. And uh, I thought, you know, what better way to discuss it than to cover sort of all of its history, right? Um, And so I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. So I was uh, out Friday talking with my friend, and he had just learned that I do podcasts. And he was like, oh, so what do you podcast about? I'm like, well, this week I'm going to be talking about Andorians. And he was asking me a bunch of questions, sort of get my brain going with who are these Andorians. So let's sort of go through the process. And he asked me some questions. Hi, John, if you're listening. (laughs) And uh, so let's describe what do they look like and these antenna. I'm still not sure what is the purpose of the antenna. Okay. Kelvin. So for those of us in the know, you close your eyes, you picture an Andorian, you see a a bipedal species <laughs> with, without uh, uh, forehead ridges for once. In this case, they've got blue skin, generally got white or gray hair, and they have two antenna coming out the top of their head. That is what an Andorian looks like. We are led to believe, or we're supposed to believe, that the antenna are sensory organs, mm-hmm. and they are able to perceive the surroundings through the antennas. There's a reference material that says it's very difficult to sneak up on an Andorian because they're aware of our presence even from behind because the antennas sense it. Some of the early kind of impressions for um, Andorians were that the antennas were supposed to replace their ears, uh, but that didn't prove effective in the kind of the makeup and screen test, so it was an addition. But it, it generally goes down the insect route. You know, uh, most insects with antennas, they're they're for sensory organs and to feel the way around the room. But Enterprise did a fantastic way of explaining the antennas that you can decipher the mood of an Andorian by the way the antennas are arranged. Uh, Kind of antennas coming forward uh, are almost like in an attack posture. So yeah, lots of, lots of information about the antennas and what was really cool on enterprise as well the technology and the makeup had got to the point where they could have little robotic um diodes inserted into uh the antennas so jeffrey coombs when he was playing shran there was a guy off screen left with a little joystick uh moving the antennas so uh reacting to what he was doing mark 
So this is where my fun bonus trivia comes in because the idea to have them sort of be mobile uh, has been around forever. And actually, that was something that they tried to do with the TNG versions. Uh, and so when they made the TNG version of the Andorian, their antenna was actually made of, you guys are going to love this, but do you remember in the 19, like 80s and 90s, you could buy at any kitschy little store these um, flowers that were electronic, and when you played music, they would dance to whatever music? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the hippie flowers. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is what the antennas originally were made of for the next generation so that they could independently move on their own. Uh, however, when it went, they, they went to shoot it, they kept breaking. So they just nixed the idea. Mm. But it's, it's funny that they ended up bringing that back again uh, with Enterprise. And I love that. It makes so much sense. They wouldn't just be there. There would be a purpose and that would be, you know, of course, um, I don't think you've brought this up yet, Calvin, but they were um, the species, they lived in caves and in the darkness, you know, underneath the, the surface of their ice planet. And so there wasn't a lot of light. And so it helped them in low light conditions be able to navigate around. And, and that's right. quite common for insects as well because they live in the soil they're burrowing there's no natural light so the antenna help them understand where they're going yeah yeah i sort of was envisioning what the antenna do like a cat's whiskers like they can sense mm. yeah space and around it's able to be controlled like a cat's tail i'm a cat <laughs> person so that's why <laughs> and i sort of was thinking do you think it has something to do with their balance as well because when I was watching um, the Enterprise one where Archer, you know, cuts off Shran's antenna to make him yield so he didn't have to kill him. And when he got up off of the table in sickbay, he was like wobbly and Phlox is like, don't worry, you'll get used to it and it will grow back within nine months. And, you know, so they do grow back. So then that, uh, I wonder, like, why in Discovery with Rin, his didn't grow back? As far as I'm aware on this, the in-universe explanation is that if it's partially removed, it will grow back. Uh, but if you take it off at almost the connection point to the skull, mm -hmm. it's permanent. Um, if you oh, notice, okay. um, Archer just took the top end of uh, Shran's off to, uh, to nick him. And yet it affected his balance and he was a, a little bit dizzy. Yeah. So yeah. I to like, while we're discussing the kind of the biology of Andorians, I'd like to move on to one of my favorite pieces of evolution of Andorians, which comes from a very throwaway line in Data's Day hmm. in the TNG episode. So in Data's Day, in his letter to Bruce Maddox, Data just randomly mentions, in, in, uh, when he's talking about Chief O'Brien and Keiko's wedding preparations, mm -hmm. he says an Andorian wedding has groups of four. So polygamy, whatever we want to go down. Um, however, in beta canon, in the very successful Deep Space Nine book series, they had, um, for what was basically season eight 
of DS9, they had a new regular character who was an Andorian. Huh. And so we had a lot, and my God, I must, I must try and pronounce her name. Andorian names are usually shortened on screen, but to give them the full names, this is Thirishar uh, Chatain. So they, she just got mm. called Chatain. And um, so we got a lot more information on Andorians and this, this kind of concept of a coupling of four. And actually, it went on to explain that it's not just a group of four who get together for a marriage. There's actually four different species or genders, I should say, within Andorian's uh, biology. Wow. So there are uh, fans, chans, zens and shens, with fans and chans being masculine and zens and shens being feminine. And not to go too gynecological on us, because uh, <laughs> people might be having breakfast, but in the reproductive cycle of Andorians, you have one of the sexes carries, if you like, the sperm. The other masculine sex has, I suppose, what we would say is the penis <laughs> to do the act. Uh, then with the females, you'll have one uh, with the, the eggs and the other carries like with the womb. So it's almost like just separating our established male and female in half and recognising those four elements for procreation and putting them together. So not only is that amazing as a concept in itself, Deep Space Nine went on and made an entire story of this in that they introduced a population crisis for Andorians mm. because when they venture out into the galaxy and they're a lot more fragmented, coupling or reproduction becomes all that more difficult because it's reliant on four people rather than two. Mm. So then there's a huge story of Dr. Bashir uh, solves this problem medically, as he would, but unfortunately this gets Dr. Bashir booted out of Starfleet because at that time the Andorians had left the Federation and were part of the Typhon Pact which is an enemy of the Federation. Oh. So a little bit of beta canon there. I don't know how much uh, weight our listeners will put onto things that are not canon, but I love it. And I just thought, what a, what a fantastic story for this species. And I felt it would be wrong not to talk about this four genders in the biology. What do you think of that, Amy? That is very new information. And it sort of explains why... Shran, listeners, I just watched the Enterprise <laughs> Andorian episodes, but why Shran was like talking to Talus yeah. was like, I think Dr. Flox wants to be with you. He's, you know, keeping me away from you. And, and I'm like, okay, so that's just sort of, I mean, whether he was doing it, you know, tongue in cheek or if it was, yeah, we've got multiple partners and that's okay. You know, I like that. What, are you, what about you, Mark? What have you, have you, do you learn anything about the, the history of the Andorians or the biology of the Andorians, uh, apart from this blue skin and the antenna? <laughs> well, uh, Andorians were true blue bloods, callous, blood displayed, non-vicious, translucent qualities, and was dark blue as Shran's abrasions. Uh, Andorian tongues and gums alternated from dark blue to pink. Andorians had increased perfusion in colder environments, 
On breathing the freezing air of Andoria, Shran remarked how it really gets the blood running. So I wanted to ask about the blood specifically because, again, Shran like had his um, Talus's blood in a little container and like poured it on that Tellurite's hand. Like, did that was that supposed to burn him or was it just symbolic? Symbolic. You've got blood on your hands because you killed her. Oh, I totally missed that. Okay. So um, I like even we're going down to biochemistry here. Andorians have a blue complexion mm -hmm. because of the amount of cobalt in their blood, which makes it blue. So having blue blood running through your veins and capillaries will make your skin blue. Oh, blue. So like we've got iron in our blood, they have cobalt. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. This is so cool. I did notice. <laughs> yes, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, Mark, that you say like their their gums, and I'm sure that's pink because makeup just couldn't yeah. cover all of it. But they did such a good job with Shran. His gums, there was something blue in there. And every once in a while, you see like the shots, like the blue eyeliner on the water line. Uh, you know that at the end of the day it's coming off, and you can see which shots were done at the end of the day versus the beginning. But man, when that makeup was on and fresh, you could not tell that he had any pink skin. I was very impressed. Do you remember those things? I don't know if they had them in the U.S., but they were like little pellets that you would give children to chew, and it would stain all of your mouth blues to aid brushing your teeth. Um, yes, whenever was, I would see yeah. the Andorians with the blue gums, it would really remind me of chewing those blue capsules that make all of your teeth blue. <laughs> My gosh, I totally forgot about that. When Yeah, when we go to the dentist, he'd give me that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. Well, has the look changed over the years? Well, I, I, oh. it must have, surely. If you consider Andorians appeared in, when was it? It was TOS. It was season two, wasn't it? Mm. Journey to Vegas. So yeah. what was that? 67, 68. So yeah, we've got quite a long history. We've got a good 50 years of Andorians. Uh, how, have they, how have they changed better rather than just having better makeup spray paint? <laughs> well, they did have something that's tied them all together, of course, was the blue pigments in the skin. They've always had like the whitish hair. But their antenna has sort of moved from Journey, Journey to Babel to Enterprise and now Discovery, where it has slowly moved more towards the front. Now, that's just because, you know, in the 1960s, they wouldn't have been able to fasten it really to the forehead without it coming off or it would have interfered with the wig. So they just pushed it back. But um, I think the intention was always that they would rest uh, more to the front. And so that's sort of where, I guess, because of makeup, we're able to do now. Also, you were able to see it in the uh, original series movies, uh, where it was more towards the front, and it was a thinner antenna. And now, you know, you have also the, there's ridges. Uh, there, I think there started to be, in uh, Enterprise, some of the head ridges a little bit and then they just went full force with that um when they got to discovery time yeah and on discovery they've um introduced this additional 
kind of ridge around the eyebrows, mm-hmm. which, again, it was one of the points that a lot of people spoke up about of, you know, we don't like it, it it's unnecessary, why are you just changing a species for the sake of it, much like we said around the Klingons. Mm-hmm. But I always view those things of, it, it's just an evolution of production technique. So it's not that the aliens have changed and we do not discuss it with outsiders. <laughs> I think it is just... Things can we can make things look cooler these days, so uh, why not? Yeah, I just wish that the Andorians that we did see in Discovery had the ability to move their antenna. That was a big disappointment for me because when I think of the Andorians, I mean that's a major trait of their species. Is that you know you we've already discussed this. You can tell a lot about their mood based on their antenna moving. Uh, that's how they are able to sense things around them. Uh, they might not be, you know, whipping back and forth all the time, you know, but there's these slight movements that I think really add a lot to the character and helps them emote more. And so, yeah, I, it was, I was let down by that because obviously we have the budget now. We don't even need to use electrodes in the, in the makeup now. We could just do it with CGI. Absolutely. Missed opportunity, very much so. A huge part of the species. Also, while we're on the aesthetic as well, I know really Andorians being mostly Federation and therefore Starfleet, when you see an Andorian, they will be in a Starfleet uniform. But if you consider the look of the Imperial Guard in Enterprise Mm -hmm. and then put that back to the original series Andorians, I think the uh aesthetic around their clothing has changed i've got the little uh <laughs> playmate playmate figure of an andorian which is supposedly the guy from journey to babel and i watched that episode earlier this week and he was wearing almost like chain mail uh like what a knight mm-hmm. would wear which is funny because I'm actually mm. looking at that outfit now on my little sofa there, which I'm going to be wearing for one of the theme nights on the cruise. Um, but they have this chainmail and then a crazy feather boa almost. And I said to you earlier, Mark, it's just so camp. I it. <laughs> so you've got that kind of aesthetic and then you've got the very... Um, emerald green gray almost quite gem hadar looking imperial guard outfit so yeah they definitely went from one extreme to the other well i think that what ties the two together is i mean there was like you said the chain mail there were studs on the leather portion of the triangle thing that they wore in journey to babel and when i look at trans I do see this, it's almost like this leathery armor type of outfit. So I think they they were influenced by Journey to Babel, but then they elevated it. Uh, they kept with like the leather and this sort of um, armor kind of looking outfit, but less sort of literal with the chain mail. Yeah. And how do we think Andorians have evolved outside of the aesthetic? Because when they were introduced in the original series, they were just introduced as tend to be aggressive mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of warlike. So how did that evolve, uh, certainly through to, to Enterprise? What do you think about that, Amy? Well, if we can sort of, I'm going to blend into the next, because I think it's, I was reading that the Andorians, they're in the Alpha Quadrant, but at their heyday, 
enlarged their territory and was in the beta. And so they're next to Vulcan space, but then got really, really large. And I think because of this, yeah, warrior type of feel. But then I was reading that when they went to, when they were going to go with the Federation, they were like, well, you need to cut back and release some of those territories. And so then that's the space that we know them hmm. I guess, yeah, Federation. Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So I think with their territory and their race and species going out there, um, I think they were really, really large and then just sort of came back down to their main mm -hmm. space. So I think that totally fits with that warrior and them going out and them, you know, defending their, their space, I guess. And the, they were, yeah, neighboring with the Tellurites, too. So that was the big main beef. What was the beef that they had with the Vulcans, though? Was that still just space? Uh, I don't know if it was territorial. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was when there was the, the border conflicts. It was a Waitan that the Andorians called it. And the Vulcans had a different name for the planet. Yes, yes. But the, the overriding kind of emotion or state that the Andorians were always portrayed in Enterprise were very paranoid. Mm -hmm. And they would always make these assumptions. So they hated the Vulcans because they would say you can never trust a Vulcan and they're manipulative. And in, interesting, they were actually proven right because they had the, the listening station at Pajem Monastery. Mm -hmm. Uh, which Archer mm -hmm. discovered. So there was a lot of weight behind that, and that was how the Andorians came to trust humans. But that kind of warlike through to not trusting anyone, being very, very paranoid, I think that was quite a, a stepped evolution of this species because it mm. did explain why they are so aggressive, uh, if that's the way they feel mm -hmm. about everyone. Yeah, I just find it interesting that, you know, we come across so many... Uh, alien species and like I, it just the contrast of what Archer and his ideal of the Federation of we just want to explore but we keep coming across these warring factions and I mean you want to destroy or do you want to build the sort of your options I, I love how Archer does that one thing um, I want to, to bring up just real quick was I give Enterprise a really hard time because it's like, I thought we were going to see the start of the Federation. And I forget that this is the start of these four mm -hmm. races coming together, right? So it was because of the Romulans that these that we got together. And that, I okay. would say, is my overriding disappointment of enterprise being cancelled that we were robbed as viewers of the birth of the federation you know we we got the very start of what came before the federation which was the coalition of planets mm -hmm. to come together to beat the romulans to end the romulan war which then kind of became the federation but that, I mean, literally, that should have been season five, six, and seven. We should have had the, like like the Dominion War at the end of DS Nine. We we should have had the Romulan War. And just kind of going back to Beta Canon, we kind of get that in the Enterprise books that follow on from the series ending. But I, I remember saying to Christos when I was on his What's the T-Bev podcast, he say one of his standard questions is, "What would if you was to invent the next series, what would you do?" 
And short of just saying bring back enterprise, because I know that would be difficult, all of the actors would be up for doing voice acting. So we could do like a Prodigy or Lower Decks style animated mm. Enterprise season five, and you would get that. And there were plans for Shran to actually become a recurring um, member of the main cast in season five of Enterprise. Whether that meant he went down the Topol route and got a Starfleet commission, or whether he was just a an implanted member of the Imperial Guard as part of the coalition. Who knows? But he was meant to be a main cast member and therefore we again was robbed of a lot more exploration mm -hmm. of Andorians. Oh, that would have been awesome. Would love that. I know. We really needed to have that because now we have why they can work together, that common enemy, but we never get that resolution. I mean, this just hanging out there. I, I, I don't have my source for this little comment, uh, so the listeners will go and have to find this if they want to prove me wrong. Uh, but this theory of them being very paranoid, very distrusting and quite hostile, apparently comes from when they are on their home world in obviously a large social groups, when they want a little bit of hanky-panky, it was uh, very comforting and this concept of being able to sense your surroundings with all the heightened um, antennas and, and that, you lose a lot of that when you go out into space. So almost it was almost like a defense mechanism of not trusting things mm -hmm. because you're unable to sense things. And <laughs> Amy, you'll remember how pissed off Troy got when she lost her emotion. Uh, her Oh, yeah. In, in the loss, <laughs> she became a right little madam. So that's kind of what the Andorians were in their permanent state. They they didn't have this ESP around them as much, so they became quite hostile. Mark? Well, that's something that, I mean, is carried through from TOS, and I didn't even realize until I watched Journey to Babel. I didn't realize how close personality-wise they were. I remembered them being diplomats. I just I remembered that one diplomat guy uh but i didn't remember that the culture actually they were uh, a little on the aggressive side um and they were like a warrior race and that was spelled out right there at the, at the beginning in journey to babel but also while you're talking about them being a little bit more mistrusting and that kind of thing it reminds me of when we first see rin in what season four of discovery or three, three or four? Three. Three, the season three of Discovery. I mean, he comes across as kind of a dick, but it's because he's so mistrusting. Uh, he's so sort of uh, brash and uh, aggressive towards the crew and the captain until he even has to like try to cut him down a couple pegs because he's just being very rude to the captain. But that's something that, you know, now that you're talking about it, it makes more sense. It's like, oh, wait, uh, this is a trait of the Andorians. And he's behaving that way because he can't really sense his, you know, his antenna isn't, it's been cut off, actually. So he's lost that. So that would definitely make him um, more hostile. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he was, you know, owned by and mm -hmm. became a slave, you know. That treatment yeah, there. Yeah, I don't suppose that helps matters much if uh, the Emerald Chain were all over him. <laughs> so before we move away from the kind of the biology of Andorians, we haven't yet discussed the Enar, the subspecies of Andorians, which we are introduced to in Enterprise. 
um, which would be an assumed kind of one-off storyline. But then, mm. interestingly, that was carried through all the way into Strange New Worlds with Emma. So how do we feel, first of all, about the Enar in general, but would you have preferred Hemmer to be a traditional Andorian, or do you think it was interesting that he was an Enar aboard uh, Pike's Enterprise? Because, you know, have they evolved? Why, why, why are they outside of their home world when they're all meant to be isolationists? Mark, what do you think of the Enar? Well, I mean, originally, even in Enterprise, uh, they had that one Enar that was curious about their surroundings and had you know gone to the surface and that's why they got captured uh, in the first place uh so i think you know historically maybe they're mostly isolationists but you can see even way back then there's some that are curious and so probably i mean it could have been somebody that was part of that family even i mean you know um that historically is curious uh, but I think by that time, especially once we had the Andorians joining the Federation, it's probably less taboo for the Enar to, to be venturing out. But I want to point this out. They were actually thought of way back at the time in the original series of a subsect. Oh, really? they didn't, yeah, they did not have a name for them then. They just said that there was this other species that were on the planet. They were subsect. They were all white. Uh, they even showed up in... Um, the animated series uh but they again they didn't have a name specifically for them but um i love that it was it was a concept originally it's just um they didn't really have the time or the budget to develop them and so now we're, we're finally getting to see them and I, I love that now do the enar have additional sensories like empathy like um, beta zeds like they can yeah, sense so it, it's um uh telepathy mm-hmm but they are naturally blind. So it depends right. which way you want to look at it, Amy, in terms of an extra ability, or is it a kind of a compensatory replacement? So yes, they have this extra ESP telepathy, um, uh, which is clearly why they were susceptible to captured by the Romulans to operate the telekinetic device that they had. Um, but yeah, they were all blind as well. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's one of the other reasons that we had Hemmer because the actor Bruce Hornack, who plays Hemmer, is also blind. So maybe they just wanted mm -hmm. some disability representation in the crew, and they thought, let's cast Bruce as an Ena, uh, because they're blind, and that's some kind of positive representation. True, but they never made Hemmer to be disabled. He was always very able, very capable. They show that from the first scene, when he's they toss him something and he, he catches it. Uh, because his other senses are so uh, well-developed. And I love that. Um, and I think that that is something that Star Trek has always done really well. You know, you're showing a person that, you know, I think there's many ways to look at somebody, oh, you know, that person's not good at this, or, you know, that person must be disabled because they can't do that. Well, Star Trek never focuses on what person or a species can't do they always focus and highlight what they can do and what they can do really well and so i love that talking about this reminds me of like romulans and remans yeah. sort of that distinction because you've got the remans who have that telepathy right but the romulans eh, sort of 
Uh, no, they can't. They can't, right? Uh, it, we've never seen telepathic Romulans. But really, when you think of it, surely it must yeah. be latent because of the Vulcan connection mm-hmm. in the genome. So if right. Vulcans are telepathic, uh, Romulans must have just forgotten how to do it. Yeah. Okay, I was watching Enterprise. We got to see Remans. I totally forgot. I'm like, ah, the nemesis connection. I loved it. I that was That will have to be another episode of of this series at one point or another oh for sure for sure but i was like okay so we have seen this before with the romulans and the remans and now we have this with the andorians and the enar nice i like that all righty well who are some of your favorite andorians i'm just i'm taking shran (laughs) i just (laughs) taking shran (laughs) i love him and jeffrey coombs my gosh what a brilliant, he plays Shran so good. I just, I love it. And his makeup, I'm telling you, just amazing, amazing. Well, if you've taken Shran, I'm going to go, uh, it's a toss up. Uh, it may come as a surprise that I'm going to choose a strong female character, uh, as we all do. But the toss up between the season, was it season one or season two Enterprise? The Susie Claxton uh, Andorian, uh, so basically Kayla as an Andorian. Yes. Uh, I think she was called Tara. Yeah. She was basically the villain, but she was so good. As again, mainly due to Susie Claxton being amazing and everything yeah. she's done in Star Trek. But she was amazing. But also Talus, who you've just mentioned, Amy mm-hmm. Strand's girlfriend, partner, whatever you want to call. She was only in two episodes, but her interactions with uh malcolm reed uh and the fact she's so you know sexually dominant and confident and capable and that kind of scene where she's an expert and he's just being a jerk around her because he's a man uh and she's like would you like me to go and get you some coffee (laughs) i just think yeah that so i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna be rude and go for a two for one i'm going for uh, Tara and uh, Talis. Yeah. So, yeah, with Talis learning the research with that, like, and what Shran says, like, you know, she was very aggressive. She made this, you know... Overture or something, was it? Yes, the overture. And I was either going to put her in the brig or be her mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that we have this, you know, female being able and is acceptable to make Mm -hmm. the first move and be okay with it instead of, you know, being that secondary or the submissive. That is beautiful to see. Mark. Who have we left you with? (laughs) Well, listen, we have had a long history of the Andorians in Star Trek. Uh, They had, I guess, uh, different appearances and mentions within Star Trek. Uh, There was four uh, in TOS, two in uh, TAS, uh, it was a couple in the original series films, uh, a couple of mentions and one appearance uh, in TNG, 14 in Enterprise, 14 in Discovery, Picard 3, evidently, either mentions or background uh, seeing a character, Lower Decks 26, uh, which I found crazy. So I guess they're, <laughs> they must have talked it's about Jennifer. it quite a bit in Lower Decks. Yeah, Jennifer. And then... Strange New Worlds. Now, Strange New Worlds is the first time in the entire, now we're at 56, almost 57 years of Star Trek history, 
Hemmer would be the very first uh, Andorian slash Enar um, that we have seen as a regular series character. So uh, it's great. So I'm going to go with uh, Hemmer uh, because whenever we have our uh, regular series cast, they can always do a heck of a lot to explain uh, the species more than we had previously seen, like Worf explaining the Klingons. I mean, that was the first time we really got to know the culture was through Worf. And I think it's the same here with uh, Bruce Horak, his uh, interpretation of Hemmer, uh, who is an Enar, but, you know, it's a subsect of the Andorians. And we're learning so much more about the culture because of him. Agreed. Oh, one thing I wanted to bring up, the traditions that they explore and like all the oh, what Travis and Hoshi were trying to find how to get out of this revenge <laughs> killing, you know, by honor. And they're like, how many thousands amendments to this one, you know, tradition? And I'm like, that reminds me of the Shellyak. <laughs> <laughs> And they had like five different pads trying to figure out going through how can we find a loophole, da da da. And I'm like, that is just way too many. Yes, way too many rules. I, to I, I love a good rule book when it comes to a game. Give you know, if you're ever gonna play Monopoly with me, prepare yourself for <laughs> me to be closing the rules at you. <laughs> Boy, do you play with the kitty in the middle? Because that's not in the yeah, rules. that's it. If you land on free parking, you get the cash. Mm-hmm. Always. Fabulous. Um, we've not mentioned the homeworld. There's quite uh, a little bit to pick out. So, Mark, you, you mentioned, obviously, about the temperature on the whole world. But mm-hmm. my little uh, conversation piece here is I'm interested to hear your opinion. So, going to Voyager for a moment... When you think of Neelix and you think of a very early season episodes such as Jitrell, they talk about Neelix's planet as Talax. And Neelix uh, lived on Rhinax, which was one of the moons. But then when you get towards the end of the series of Voyager, uh, in particular Homestead, they suddenly start calling it Talaxia. So we go from Talax to Talaxia without explanation. So it seems to be a continuity error. Mm. The same is true with Andorians, because we get both Andor and we get Andoria. So what's your opinion? Is this continuity, retcon, or is there an in-universe explanation? Mark, you seem to know. Oh, there's an in-universe explanation, which is a retcon. But uh, So Andor is the gas planet of which Andoria rotates around. That's the in-universe explanation. But yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. Is that the right way around? Isn't Andoria the planet and Andor is the moon? Well, we might need to fact-check that one, listeners. Andor is the planet with the gas. But you're you're absolutely right. That was the the kind of get-out clause. It was a planet and a moon. So we're allowed (laughs) to say uh, Andor and Andoria. I love that. I just love when people recognize, oh, we need to explain this because it was previously called something else. So uh, Enterprise 1, Voyager 0. Too bad Star Trek uh, can't ever come up with a new series uh, based on that planet and just call it Andor because, you know, copyright issues. 
I know. I was about to say Star Wars. Okay. So listeners, we apparently are going to have a cocktail moment with our lovely species. Oh, Calvin. Before moving on, did you want to say no, something? No, I'm just outraged that we're having a cocktail moment and it's dry January. I'm not allowed to drink for another three days. It's now the 29th of January when we're filming this. So Almost maybe there. when the episode drops uh, in the first week of February, I'll have a glass in my hand while we're listening. Yeah. So this comes from our lovely Star Trek cocktail book. Um, if you haven't picked it up, listeners, it's just so much fun. Um, so it is Ice Planet. And so, Mark, I'm feeling that's why you chose Alaska for our <laughs> There's, good a, there's world a theme moment. here, guys. Listen, there's a theme. There is a theme. If you didn't pick that up, <laughs> listeners, now you get it. <laughs> so if you would like to enjoy an Ice Planet, one and a fourth ounce of white rum, four teaspoons of blue Caraco, four teaspoons of lime juice, and always use fresh lime juice. It's just so much better. Uh, one tablespoon of simple syrup and four teaspoons of lemonade. Add ice and shake. Cheers, Andorians. Cheers. I am going to make that. I have all of that stuff. Oh, I need... Oh, I think I need some white rum. You've got everything but white rum. That sounds like the most basic of all of those ingredients. You've got blue cracker, but you haven't got white rum. Mm. I love it. Um, I, I think it was Deep Space Nine that this was referenced. Um, but another cocktail was an Andorian Sunrise. So clearly we all know the drink of tequila sunrise, which looks mm -hmm. nice and orange and red like a, a sunrise. Mm -hmm. But an Andorian sunrise is kind of like blue and purple. And I just thought, that's amazing. Mm. So I don't know if there's an official recipe for that, but I might take that upon myself as a challenge to try and create an Andorian sunrise. Yes. Would you please um, get that so that we can have it on the cruise? We'll just go behind the bar and start making some stuff. I think they probably frown upon that, Amy, if we walk behind the bar and just help ourselves. <laughs> No, I, no, I, no, I get in good with those bartenders. They, they know me. <laughs> well, you yeah, should post it in the, uh, in the group. Oh, we will. We will. Yeah. Well, before we close and give final thoughts today, I want to give a good quote on the Andorians. Uh, and this is quotes from Shran. Uh, I just loved this quote and I wanted to incorporate it into today's uh, discussion. So Shran says, the Vulcans say that the desert teaches men the meaning of endurance, but it's the ice that forges real strength. I agree with Shran there, hundred <laughs> percent. Mm hmm. All right. Final thoughts. I love that we now know who the Andorians are, and they are fully realized, explored, and the path is set for more. Um, again, they were. Very much, you know, we know all about humans and Vulcans, clearly, but Andorians and Tellarites were very much dealt a bum deal. And mm -hmm. for them to be the four founding species of the Federation, it is a crime that it took so long for us to find out more. So now that we finally have that, I'm, I'm obsessed. Uh, uh, my antennas are twitching. <laughs> I love them. Uh, more, please. Uh, and who knows, I may even get the blue spray paint out at a 
forthcoming convention uh, and as as cosplay an Andorian. Awesome. I love them that, that much. Well, uh, in my research, like I said, finding out the reason why they weren't shown in the 90s got me so frustrated uh, for a lot of the reasons where you just mentioned. Yes, yeah, they were a founding member of the Federation. I always thought that their makeup looked super cool. I love the antennas. Uh, I loved learning more about the species in this deep dive. That's that's what's so great and unique about All Good Things as a podcast is we don't focus on one show or just show talk about new track. We can really have the opportunity to fully deep dive into these cross show species you know and learn about their evolution learn about who created them learn about why uh you know they have these appendages learn about why they have these pigmentations and it really i think makes our future viewings all the more rich and so i'm glad we got to do that today and thanks everybody for indulging me Oh my gosh, Mark, yes, you said it best. I'm like, now when I see Andorians, I do. I have this deeper, you know, context to pull from. And I've always known about them, but, you know, everyone knows I'm a TNG. And what, we see it for one second when Lol's trying to decide what to be. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, I know Andorians, they're blue and they have antenna. So what else is there to know? Well, we have just, there is a lot to know and their culture is rich and they have you know families and art and the imperial and they're like they're so similar to us and so it's like yeah let's explore more and i am very grateful that we um had hemmer as well um i feel like he really brought that you know sort of like the romulan reman we've got the andorians and the enar and so learning about them expanding their universe uh, is just as important too. So I'm looking forward to seeing more Andorians. And yeah, I really enjoy Jennifer <laughs> on Lower Deck. She was she was great. So it's good to see so much of her. And like you said, Lower Decks, 26 episodes. Come on, that's does, you know. Does Jennifer's so. antenna move? I didn't remember. Okay, oh, I'm I sure. Hope so. I'm gonna rewatch some it's Jennifer episodes. Animated. <laughs> they better. Oh, yeah. I, I must point out though, Mark, you do realize you've got a problem now. What? Because if A is for Andorian, B is for, and you're going to get a huge fight erupt, whether we get Amy punting for Betazoids, or if I go for Bajorans. Well, so we'll leave that one with you to settle an argument. I think that's pretty easy because Bajorans actually have makeup that has evolved and they've been in a lot more trek series than the beta zeds beta zeds <laughs> they just have the contact we lenses, will that's not it. and how many no series no. have they been in not really that many i mean tng and how many main characters oh no no uh -oh. no <laughs> we'll have to arm wrestle this oh. one i guess <laughs> listeners you let us know are we gonna go bajoran or beta zed next <laughs> We need to find a character who's half Bajor and half Betazoid. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> Ooh. Well, Kevin, what are we going to be talking about next week? Because it's not Betazoid. <laughs> it is not. Um, well, it is beef. It's beef for Bashir. So next week, uh, we're going to continue our genetic engineering series with part two, looking at DS9's episode, Dr. Bashir, I presume, which I 
cannot wait because it is a not only a great fun episode it's a really really it's i would say the most important episode for dr bashir's character development mm. as this is the episode which we find out that he is genetically engineered and also we have uh the doctor from voyager making a fantastic guest star appearance on ds9 as dr louis zimmerman so it's a great fun wrong of an episode but so important love to that. the genetic engineering argument so can't wait we would love to hear what you thought of today's episodes and hope you'll join our facebook group the bqn collective to continue our discussion there you can also tweet your thoughts at all good pod please follow the network on twitter and instagram at bqn podcast We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Mark, where can people find you when you are drinking an ice planet? Oh, well, they can find me at home. I'm usually drinking an ice planet. Uh, (laughs) You can also find me on the BQN Facebook uh, page, BQN Collective. Uh, You can also find me if you become a patron of the network on Patreon, where I host... It's green. Uh, you can find me if you check out Twitter, where I have my Twitter, which is at markwhite207. And Calvin, where can people find you when you're not fangirling over Susie Plaxton? <laughs> uh, well, I do that quite a lot. Um, when I'm not doing that, though, you can find me on Facebook in the VQN Collective Facebook group. Or you can find me directly on Instagram and Twitter at Kelvin's Timeline. Which leaves Amy. Where can we find you, Amy, when you're not dueling with a Yushan Tor cutting off people's antennae? (laughs) Only to save their life. I mean, it's, you know. Uh, Well, you can find me here in the network where I'm co-hosting Galaxy Class and Union Federation. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place there in the Facebook group, BQN Collective. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and written review. It helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. This way you won't miss any of our fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalagis, Infinite Diversities, Mickey's Marvels, Sasquatch, What's the T-Bev, and the world-famous Trexpert's Quiz. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and Mark White for our artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We'll add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. So visit patreon.com forward slash EQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things.